0: book two chapter six of michael strogoff courier of the czar this librivox recording is in the public domain michael strogoff by jules verne book two chapter six a friend on the highway half an hour afterwards michael and nadia had left tomsk many others of the prisoners were that night able to escape from the tartars for officers and soldiers all more or less intoxicated had unconsciously relaxed the vigilant guard which they had hitherto maintained. Nadia, after having been carried off with the other prisoners, had been able to escape and return to the square at the moment when Michael was led before the emir. There, mingling with the crowd, she had witnessed the terrible scene. Not a cry escaped her when the scorching blade passed before her companion's eyes. She kept by her strength of will mute and motionless. A providential inspiration bade her restrain herself and retain her liberty that she might lead Marfa's son to that goal which he had sworn to reach. Her heart for an instant ceased to beat when the aged Siberian woman fell senseless to the ground, but one thought restored her to her former energy. I will be the blind man's dog, said she. On Ogareff's departure, Nadia had concealed herself in the shade. She had waited till the crowd left the square, Michael, abandoned as a wretched being from whom nothing was to be feared, was alone. She saw him draw himself towards his mother, bend over her, kiss her forehead, then rise and grope his way in flight. A few instants later she and he, hand in hand, had descended the steep slope, when, after having followed the high banks of the tom to the furthest extremity of the town, they happily found a breach in the enclosure. The road to Irkutsk was the only one which penetrated towards the east. It could not be mistaken. It was possible that on the morrow, after some hours of carousal, the scouts of the emir, once more scattering over the steppes, might cut off all communication. It was of the greatest importance, therefore, to get in advance of them. How could Nadia bear the fatigues of that night from the 16th to the 17th of August? How could she have found strength for so long a stage? How could her feet, bleeding under that forced march, have carried her thither? It is almost incomprehensible, but it is nonetheless true that on the next morning, twelve hours after their departure from Tomsk, Michael and she reached the town of Similovsko after a journey of thirty-five miles. Michael had not uttered a single word. It was not Nadia who held his hand, it was he who held that of his companion during the whole of that night. BUT, THANKS TO THAT TREMBLING LITTLE HAND WHICH GUIDED HIM, HE HAD WALKED AT HIS ORDINARY PACE. SEMILOVSKO WAS ALMOST ENTIRELY ABANDONED. THE INHABITANTS HAD FLED. NOT MORE THAN TWO OR THREE HOUSES WERE STILL OCCUPIED. ALL THAT THE TOWN CONTAINED, USEFUL OR PRECIOUS, HAD BEEN CARRIED OFF IN WAGONS. HOWEVER, NADIA WAS OBLIGED TO MAKE A HALT OF A FEW HOURS. THEY BOTH REQUIRED FOOD AND REST. The young girl led her companion to the extremity of the town. There they found an empty house, the door wide open. An old rickety wooden bench stood in the middle of the room, near the high stove which is to be found in all Siberian houses. They silently seated themselves. Nadia gazed in her companion's face as she had never before gazed. There was more than gratitude, more than pity in that look could michael have seen her he would have read in that sweet desolate gaze a world of devotion and tenderness the eyelids of the blind man made red by the heated blade fell over half his eyes the pupils seemed to be singularly enlarged the rich blue of the iris was darker than formerly the eyelashes and eyebrows were partly burnt but in appearance at least the old penetrating look appeared to have undergone no change If he could no longer see, if his blindness was complete, it was because the sensibility of the retina and optic nerve was radically destroyed by the fierce heat of the steel. Then Michael stretched out his hands. "'Are you there, Nadia?' he asked. "'Yes,' replied the young girl. "'I am close to you, and I will not go away from you, Michael.' at his name pronounced by nadia for the first time a thrill passed through michael's frame he perceived that his companion knew all who he was Nadia replied he we must separate we separate how so michael i must not be an obstacle to your journey your father is waiting for you at irkutsk you must rejoin your father my father would curse me michael were i to abandon you now after all you have done for me nadia nadia replied michael you should think only of your father michael replied nadia you have more need of me than my father do you mean to give up going to irkutsk never cried michael in a tone which plainly showed that none of his energy was gone but you have not the letter the letter of which ivan ogareff robbed me well i shall manage without it nadia they have treated me as a spy i will act as a spy i will go and repeat at irkutsk all i have seen all i have heard i swear it by heaven above the traitor shall meet me one day face to face but i must arrive at irkutsk before him and yet you speak of our separating michael nadia they have taken everything from me I have some rubles still, and my eyes. I can see for you, Michael, and I will lead you thither, where you could not go alone. And how shall we go? On foot? And how shall we live? By begging. Let us start, Nadia. Come, Michael." The two young people no longer kept the names brother and sister. In their common misfortune they felt still closer united. They left the house after an hour's repose. Nadia had procured in the town some morsels of chornekelb, a sort of barley bread, and a little mead called Miod in Russia. This had cost her nothing, for she had already begun her plan of begging. The bread and mead had in some degree appeased Michael's hunger and thirst. Nadia gave him the lion's share of this scanty meal. He ate the pieces of bread his companion gave him, drank from the gourd she held to his lips. "'Are you eating, Nadia?' he asked several times. "'Yes, Michael,' invariably replied the young girl, who contented herself with what her companion left. Michael and Nadia quit Semilovsko, and once more set out on the laborious road to Irkutsk. The girl bore up in a marvelous way against fatigue. Had Michael seen her, perhaps he would not have had the courage to go on.' but nadia never complained and michael hearing no sigh walked at a speed he was unable to repress and why did he still expect to keep before the tartars he was on foot without money he was blind and if nadia his only guide were to be separated from him he could only lie down by the side of the road and there perish miserably but if on the other hand by energetic perseverance he could reach Krasnoyarsk. All was perhaps not lost, since the governor, to whom he would make himself known, would not hesitate to give him the means of reaching Irkutsk. Michael walked on, speaking little, absorbed in his own thoughts. He held Nadia's hand. The two were in incessant communication. It seemed to them that they had no need of words to exchange their thoughts. From time to time Michael said, "'Speak to me, Nadia.' "'Why should I, Michael? We are thinking together.' the young girl would reply, and contrived that her voice should not betray her extreme fatigue. But sometimes, as if her heart had ceased to beat for an instant, her limbs tottered, her steps flagged, her arms fell to her sides, she dropped behind. Michael then stopped, he fixed his eyes on the poor girl, as though he would try to pierce the gloom which surrounded him, his breast heaved, then, supporting his companion more than before, he started on afresh however amidst these continual miseries a fortunate circumstance on that day occurred which it appeared likely would considerably ease their fatigue they had been walking from similovsko for two hours when michael stopped is there no one on the road not a single soul replied nadia do you not hear some noise behind us if they are tartars we must hide keep a good lookout wait michael replied nadia going back a few steps to where the road turned to the right michael strogoff waited alone for a minute listening attentively nadia returned almost immediately and said it is a cart a young man is leading it is he alone alone michael hesitated an instant should he hide or should he on the contrary try to find a place in the vehicle if not for himself at least for her For himself, he would be quite content to lay one hand on the cart, to push it if necessary, for his legs showed no sign of failing him, but he felt sure that Nadia, compelled to walk ever since they crossed the Obi—that that is, for eight days, must be almost exhausted. He waited. The cart was soon at the corner of the road. It was a very dilapidated vehicle, known in the country as a Kibitka, just capable of holding three persons. Usually the Kibitka is drawn by three horses, but this had but one, a beast with long hair and a very long tail. It was of the Mongol breed, known for strength and courage. A young man was leading it with a dog beside him, "'Nadia saw at once that the young man was Russian, his face was phlegmatic but pleasant, and at once inspired confidence. He did not appear to be in the slightest hurry. He was not walking fast that he might spare his horse, and, to look at him, it would not have been believed that he was following a road which might at any instant be swarming with tartars. "'Nadia, holding Michael by the hand, made way for the vehicle. "'The kibitka stopped, and the driver smilingly looked at the young girl.' and where are you going to in this fashion he asked opening wide his great honest eyes at the sound of his voice michael said to himself that he had heard it before and it was satisfactory to him to recognize the man for his brow at once cleared well where are you going repeated the young man addressing himself more directly to michael we are going to irkutsk he replied oh little father you do not know that there are still versts and versts between you and irkutsk i know it and you are going on foot on foot you well but the young lady she is my sister said michael who judged it prudent to give again this name to nadia yes your sister little father but believe me she will never be able to get to irkutsk friend returned michael approaching him "'The Tartars have robbed us of everything, and I have not a copeck to offer you. "'But if you will take my sister with you, I will follow your cart on foot. "'I will run when necessary. I will not delay you an hour.' "'Brother!' exclaimed Nadia. "'I will not! I will not! Sir, my brother is blind.' "'Blind!' repeated the young man, much moved. "'The Tartars have burnt out his eyes,' replied Nadia, extending her hands, as if imploring pity." burnt out his eyes oh poor little father i am going to krasnoyarsk well why should not you and your sister mount in the kibitka by sitting a little close it will hold us all three besides my dog will not refuse to go on foot only i don't go fast i spare my horse friend what is your name asked michael my name is nicholas Pigasov. it is a name that i will never forget said michael well jump up little blind father your sister will be beside you in the bottom of the cart i sit in front to drive there is plenty of good birch bark and straw in the bottom it's like a nest serko make room the dog jumped down without more telling he was an animal of the siberian race gray hair of medium size with an honest big head just made to pat and he moreover appeared to be much attached to his master In a moment more, Michael and Nadia were seated in the kibitka. Michael held out his hands as if to feel for those of Pigasov. "'You wish to shake my hands?' said Nicholas. "'There they are, little father. Shake them as long as it will give you any pleasure.' The kibitka moved on. The horse, which Nicholas never touched with the whip, ambled along. Though Michael did not gain any in speed, at least some fatigue was spared to Nadia. Such was the exhaustion of the young girl that, rocked by the monotonous movement of the kibitka, she soon fell into a sleep, its soundness proving her complete prostration. Michael and Nicholas laid her on the straw as comfortably as possible. The compassionate young man was greatly moved, and if a tear did not escape from Michael's eyes, it was because the red-hot iron had dried up the last. "'She is very pretty,' said Nicholas. "'Yes,' replied Michael.' they try to be strong little father they are brave but they are weak after all these dear little things have you come from far very far poor young people it must have hurt you very much when they burnt your eyes very much answered michael turning towards nicholas as if he could see him did you not weep yes i should have wept too to think that one could never again see those one loves but they can see you however that's perhaps some consolation yes perhaps tell me my friend continued michael have you never seen me anywhere before you little father no never the sound of your voice is not unknown to me why returned nicholas smiling he knows the sound of my voice perhaps you ask me that to find out where i come from i come from coulivan from Colivan, repeated michael then it was there i met you you were in the telegraph office that may be replied nicholas i was stationed there i was the clerk in charge of the messages and you stayed at your post up to the last moment why it's at that moment one ought to be there it was the day when an englishman and a frenchman were disputing roubles in hand for the place at your wicket and the englishman telegraphed some poetry that is possible but i do not remember it what you do not remember it i never read the dispatches i said my duty being to forget them the shortest way is not to know them this reply showed nicholas pigasov's character in the meantime the kibitka pursued its way at a pace which michael longed to render more rapid but nicholas and his horse were accustomed to a pace which neither of them would like to alter The horse went for two hours and rested one, so on day and night. During the halts the horse grazed, the travelers ate in company with the faithful Serko. The kibitka was provisioned for at least twenty persons, and Nicholas generously placed his supplies at the disposal of his two guests, whom he believed to be brother and sister. After a day's rest, Nadia recovered some strength. Nicholas took the best possible care of her— The journey was being made under tolerable circumstances, slowly, certainly, but surely. It sometimes happened that during the night Nicholas, although driving, fell asleep, and snored with a clearness which showed the calmness of his conscience. Perhaps then, by looking close, Michael's hand might have been seen feeling for the reins, and giving the horse a more rapid pace, to the great astonishment of Serko, who, however, said nothing. The trot was exchanged for the amble as soon as Nicholas awoke, but the Kibitka had not the less gained some versts. Thus they passed the river Ichernsk, the villages of Ichizniko, Berikiliko, Kusko, the river Maurunsk, the village of the same name, Bogostavsko, and lastly the Ichula, a little stream which divides western from eastern Siberia. The road now lay sometimes across wide moors, which extended as far as the eye could reach, sometimes through thick forests of firs, of which they thought they should never get to the end. Everywhere was a desert, the villages were almost entirely abandoned. The peasants had fled beyond the Yenisi, hoping that this wide river would perhaps stop the Tartars. On the 22nd of August, the Kibitka entered the town of Atchinsk, 250 miles from Tomsk. Eighty miles still lay between them and Krasnoyarsk. No incident had marked the journey, for the six days during which they had been together, Nicholas, Michael, and Nadia had remained the same, the one in his unchangeable calm, the other two uneasy, and thinking of the time when their companion would leave them. Michael saw the country through which they traveled with the eyes of Nicholas and the young girl. In turns they each described to him the scenes they passed, He knew whether he was in a forest or on a plain, whether a hut was on the steppe, or whether any Siberian was in sight. Nicholas was never silent. He loved to talk, and from his peculiar way of viewing things, his friends were amused by his conversation. One day Michael asked him what sort of weather it was. "'Fine enough, little father,' he answered, "'but soon we shall feel the first winter frosts. Perhaps the Tartars will go into winter quarters during the bad season.' Michael Strogoff shook his head with a doubtful air. "'You do not think so, little father?' resumed Nicholas. "'You think they will march on to Irkutsk?' "'I fear so,' replied Michael. "'Yes, you are right. They have with them a bad man who will not let them loiter on the way. You have heard speak of Ivan Ogareff?' "'Yes.' "'You know that it is not right to betray one's country?' "'No, it is not right,' answered Michael, who wished to remain unmoved little father continued nicholas it seems to me that you are not half indignant enough when ivan ogareff is spoken of your russian heart ought to leap when his name is uttered believe me my friend i hate him more than you can ever hate him said michael it is not possible replied nicholas no it is not possible when i think of ivan ogareff of the harm which he is doing to our sacred russia i get into such a rage that if i could get hold of him If you could get hold of him, friend, I think I should kill him, and I, I am sure of it, returned Michael quickly. End of Book Two, Chapter Six